This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host. Welcome, everyone. This is the Meaningful Sport Podcast, and I am your host, Nora Ronkainen. Meaningful Sport is a series of discussions on the why and how involvement in sport and physical activity can be an important part of a life worth living. If you are interested in the theme, you might also want to check out MeaningfulSport.com. There you can find podcast show notes, read a blog, and access many resources for further explorations of Meaningful Sport. Welcome back to the second part of our conversation with Dr. Teemu Pauha from the University of Helsinki. In the first part, we had a very interesting conversation on the changing religious landscape in Europe, how people make meaning of religion and spirituality, how they construct identities in relation to these, as well as uh, being non-religious. And we also discussed the ways in which different movement cultures, sports, martial arts, what kind of role they might play in people's spiritual life. And so in the second part, we will move into discussing a very exciting collaboration we recently had on looking at identity in Christian mixed martial arts. And that's something that is a very contradictory phenomenon, and people are trying to make sense of how you can put these two together. And and we wrote a nice paper together that Temu was leading that was recently published in the Qualitative Research in Sport, Exercise and Health. And today we hear about the background and, and some of the findings of that work as well. So welcome back to the podcast, Temu. Thanks. Wonderful. So maybe we can just explore this tension a little bit from the theological viewpoint. So what would be the arguments for and against putting these two things together? Um, well, there are quite a few, few, few actually. Yeah, and, and the debate has been very intense, uh, both arguments in favor of it and against it. Uh, typical arguments that have been put for practicing mixed martial arts as, as a practicing Christian uh, have been related to, for example, uh, seeing mixed martial arts seen as a potential missionary field, so to speak, so that there is this perception of them being not many believers or not, not many Christians among MMA practitioners and fans. And therefore, if one is there as an, as a professing Christian, then one also has a possibility to bring more people to the Christ, so to speak. So that's that. That's at least one one argument that I've I've come across a number of times. Then a typical way, at least that many athletes put it, it's not really how, how could we say theologically refined argument that, that one that is quite often used is the one that you referred to in relation to this Christian judo practitioner in our previous part of this podcast. That so ma- making the distinction between one's sport and one's faith, that and just putting the equal sign between one's martial art and between any kind of any kind of sport. So f- for example, this person whose autobiography we studied in our article, he Ron Waterman, he says in his auto- autobiography that for him being a mi- mixed martial arts 
professional is no different to being a football professional or a practitioner of any other sport. And this is where then many theologians or church leaders disagree and argue that uh, actually being involved in a violent profession, such as being a mixed martial artist, is different to playing football. And here, arguments, theological arguments that have been used to justify this kind of a position have included, for example, this view of the body as the temple for the Holy Spirit, or the example of Jesus that has been understood as being uh, contrary to to violence. And also it has been linked to the Christian just war doctrine. So the idea that violence is only justified if it's used by a legitimate authority and to further some righteous goals. So to defend the weak. And the view of of certain theologians is that because MMA is not this kind of a violence that is that is used by authorities to defend in defense of of the week, then it's because of this, it doesn't really fulfill the uh, requirements of just war. And because of that, it is not theologically legitimate. So those those are some of the, some of the, at least some of the arguments that have been used there. But I also also think that the uh, difficulty for many MMA fans and many practitioners doesn't necessarily come from the theological doctrine, but from the idea of Jesus. Because by and large, it seems that the, especially the Christian MMA scene in the United States, where it has been the strongest, is quite uh, evangelical and then therefore quite also Jesus-oriented. So the, what would Jesus do is the slogan that is quite often used by fans and practitioners. And it's uh, the way that Jesus is described in Gospels is this very calm and anti-violence person and that kind of an ideal or role model might be difficult to combine with a professional fighter. Yeah, certainly thinking of the New Testament and the image that you get about Jesus and then looking at what happens at the mixed martial arts in the cage. I certainly see that there is some sense making that needs to be done in order to put these two things together and find some coherence in your life. And so certainly that was this tension that we were really interested in looking into. And using a narrative approach, that's something that we chose to do. And and that has become a lot more popular also in sports studies in the past 10, 20 years. And and there have been a lot of studies uh, looking at how athletes construct their narrative identities within the narrative resources that they have available. And and the field has been moving forward and there is a lot of exciting developments. Yet what we did, we used the dialogical self-theory and and that was something that I haven't used before and that hasn't also been done in sports studies a lot. So I think for our listeners who might be working with that narrative approach, it would be quite interesting to hear what are those central theoretical ideas in the dialogical self-theory and how that can be used, for example, in the study that we were wanting to do, looking at these tensions in one's identity? Uh, dialogical self-theory is mostly based on the work, by and large, based on the work of Hubert Hermans, Dutch psychologist and his co-workers. And Hermans gets or got most of his ideas from where, on one hand, the tradition, the pragmatic tradition of William James, and on the other hand, from the rhetorical tradition of Mihail Bakhtin. 
And the idea, the kind of the key idea there is that there's not really one authorial voice or one uh, position from or one viewpoint from which we narrate our lives and from which our, we make sense of our lives. But there are actually several different points of view that we can adopt to ma uh, make sense of our lives. So there are kind of many distinct voices that we use to tell our lives, life stories. And the way that Hubert Hermans has put it is that there are actually these several different what he calls oppositions, these different points of view or voices that alternate when we are doing the narrating of our lives. So we switch between positions and all of which might have a different view, might have a different idea of what is what our life is, life is about. And quite often the different oppositions are linked to different kinds of motives. So they are, so they also entail different kind of conceptions of what is meaningful in life, what is worth pursuing in life, and what is the life's goal and what is the life's purpose. And that is why we also, because we narrate our lives from these different positions, all of which may may, might have different conception of what life is, what is worthwhile in life, it might be that it's also a cause of, of a conflict if we have several like, positions that you the purpose of life quite differently. And that is also what why I thought that this dialogical self-theory might be a useful way to approach a, what we supposed might be a potential cause of internal conflict, this being a professing Christian and mixed martial artists. Yeah, that's an excellent overview. And and that was like extremely suitable for, for the data that we were using in our study. So we took an autobiography from a, a former professional MMA fighter, and, and his name is Ron Waterman, as you already mentioned. And this book that we were looking into is called Tapped Out by Jesus from the Cage to the Cross. And it was really quite a different autobiography because it was quite messy and, and it, it had different sections that were told from a completely different perspective. And the same events could be told in a completely different tone. And so that was really like the dialogue that you were mentioning and these different eye positions were so clearly uh, visible in that data. So yeah, maybe just share a little bit about who is this character on Waterman and and what are these different eye positions that he's storing in in his autobiography? Uh, Ron Waterman is a former UFC fighter, heavyweight UFC fighter. His debut in UFC was in uh, 99, I guess, and he, his last UFC fight was in, I don't actually recall it, but he, he quit his professional career as a professional mixed martial artist in 2008, so it, it took approximately 10 years. At the same time, he was also in a part of the WWE uh, show wrestling organization for some time, but then also became a member of this traveling band of Christian bodybuilders, Team Impact, that organize mission trips. So they travel travel the globe and organize events in which they show off their strength by breaking baseball bats and, and doing all these kinds of feats of strength and at the same time tell people about Jesus. Um, he did that for some time. And the last I know that is that he's uh, living together with his family, 
guess in Colorado, I'm not, I'm sure, but he, he is originally from Colorado and uh, working as a firefighter, actually. And the this book of his that you mentioned, this uh, tapped out by Jesus, it mostly focuses on this active career as an MMA fighter and the kind of conflict that he narrates there or what, what is the underlying focus of the whole book is kind of comes down to a conflict between two positions that we in our article dubbed Ronte Fighter and Ronte Pazza Familia, so the father of the family, that have a kind of different idea of what life is about and what is worth po- pursuing in life. So Ron the Fighter, he's kind of the traditionally masculine type. He's rather competitive, he's energetic, he's relaxed, outgoing. He doesn't dwell too much on past or worry about the future, or he's not too engaged in introspection, but he just lives for the moment and embraces challenges and embraces adventures and wants to demonstrate his strength and his physical prowess to other people and yeah is the outgoing and relaxed relaxed type he kind of describes in those stories that are narrated parts that are seem to be narrated by this i position or from this i position the god is kind of the supporting character we refer to him in our article ron the fighters god as cornerman god so there's something that stays on the background and just helps Ron to win the challenges that he's facing. And the family also is in those parts of his story described as also in this kind of a supportive role. So they are support him in when he pursues his career, fighting career. Sometimes they also might be a hinder to accomplishing one's goal when he, for example, uh, feels it difficult to travel to other, other side of the United States in order to for a year away from his family so there he the family appears as kind of an uh, obstacle for going for one's dreams but he's yeah mm-hmm. that kind of a type yeah and the, then the other voice the other perspective that appears in this story is this Ronta part of Amelias who is very different because he uh, is kind of melancholic even a little bit depressed he refers to himself as a terrible person in more than one occasion he admits that he's constantly worrying about the future or feeling troubled about the past and his mistakes that he's made in the past so he's very much not living the moment but being engaged in introspection and all everything that he has done wrong and everything that he's he's feeling very heavily his responsibilities as a man and as a breadwinner for the family and is very much worried how he can handle that duty. And those parts of the story are rather dark in comparison to the parts that are narrated with the from the perspective of this previous eye position that I, that I mentioned from the fighter. And in these parts of the story, uh, the also God and the family appear really differently. So uh, where, as I men- mentioned previously, for this Ron the fighter, God appears as some kind of a cornerman among among the other cornermen. For Ron the Potterfamilias, God is very much the center of one's life and is in control of everything. So he is not the one helping one to accomplish one's dreams, but he's keeping, he's actually guiding and controlling every step and every aspect of one's life. And not so much helping one to accomplish one's dreams, but to keep one from the wrong part. So Actually, he's stopping one from accomplishing dreams that might be bad for 
for one's soul. So, and this is also why and how Waterman in his narrative makes sense of his, uh, that he himself describes as a kind of a failure to accomplish his uh, sport-related dreams, is that it wasn't really God's will that he would accomplish those. So there's a big difference between these two kind of voices that appear in the data. It's most apparent in in certain passages that are narrated from both perspectives. For example, the Waterman describes his first year in WWE, this show wrestling organization. He first describes that as a fulfillment of his childhood dreams, and he's very excited about it, and he's very looking forward to it and embracing the challenge, and he's very much admires his training partners and everything new that he experiences there. But then only a little while later, there's a complete shift in tone and this Ronda Paterfamilias starts narrating and it suddenly he describes it in a very dark tone. So he describes it that childhood dream wasn't at all what he expected it to be. And the people that he met there, the other training partners, they were like good people in the sense, but they were also lost to the world so that they didn't know God. And he also ended up losing connection with the God while being with them. And so the, there's a complete shift in the way in he, which he describes this very same event and those kind of passages. That's not the only that kind of a passage in the book, but it, it exemplifies well the difference between these two positions and the conflict between them. Yeah, I think you described it really so well. And I think an interesting part is towards the end of the story that you mentioned that in some ways this idea that God is in control of everything is the way that uh, Ron is making sense of a career that was in some ways dissatisfying or he didn't achieve it in MMA what he probably aspired to achieve and and we had these discussions when we were writing the article about you know sometimes religion is considered like a coping mechanism and as we mentioned that's also a word that he, uh, that Ron is using himself as, of religion as a coping mechanism but I think using this language is also really dangerous in terms of being quite disrespectful potentially of people's worldviews if you say that somebody else's religion is just a coping mechanism. Definitely. Yeah. And I and I, I think there's a, also a big difference, a major difference, whether we call something, for example, religion as just a coping mechanism or yeah. a coping mechanism. So mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot, lot of research in the psychology and, uh, of religion on religion being a coping mechanism. But that, of course, doesn't mean that it's just that. So I, I guess also many religious people would recognize the role that their faith plays in their coping, but that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, that it's only about that, but it also might might serve other purposes. And I, I I think the coping aspect is also very apparent in this Ron's uh, narrative. But I also do not think that it's the only aspect that's important with regard to his religiosity. It's it's one of the important aspects, but definitely not the only one. Yeah, and I thought in discussing these two different eye positions, you've put it really just so well how this intersectionality happens. So it's not just that you have one religious identity and you have one athlete identity, and then these two are somehow, you know, oppositional. But as you explain, this religion is part of both of these eye positions. So for Ron the Fighter, God is the corner man. 
And that's the way that religion is woven into that story. Whereas for Ron the Potter families, God is somebody who is in control of everything. So in that sense, religion is part of both of these I positions and so is sport also part of these both both of these I positions. So I guess for Ron the Potter familiar, sport is something that can lead him astray to taking off the path by, you know, being with these guys who are lost in the world and being in those circles. Ron is also in danger of getting lost to the world. So so in that sense it's not really a negotiation between just sport and just religion, but it's about these two different I positions that both relate differently to sport and religion. So I thought that was just really a, a fascinating finding. Yeah, that's also one one thing that that during our study that was kind of a eureka moment for me was that I've always been interested in the concept of in, intersectionality and how it takes place uh, psychologically. And I, I think it it was also very enlightening for me to to realize when studying Waterman's life that actually it's not the conflict, it's not between these two social identities of, of an athlete and an, of a Christian believer, but there's a intersectionality is multi-layered. So there are multiple levels of intersectionality. So on one hand, you have this, according to the dialogical self-theory, the what we call self is a dial, dialogue between different positions or different voices. But all of these positions are are also complex constellations of intersecting identities. So as you said, it's not that Ron's faith and his uh, sport are in conflict, but the conflict is between these positions, all of which relate in different ways to sport and masculinity and, and religion and, and all his other aspects of life. Yeah, and I think you've put it so so well and beautifully in the articles. I'll link the article to obviously to our discussion and I'll also link the book because that might be interesting for people just to read the autobiography that we used as well. Yeah, I think for closing we also have some people who are doing more applied work with athletes and are interested in these applications. How can this knowledge or how can that theoretical perspective be used uh, when working with athletes? So do you have some thoughts around that? In the article we discuss a concept that's used in this relation. That's the meta position or third position that's and that's some kind of a position a position that links that builds bridges between otherwise incompatible or or contradictory positions and there are also methods that have been used for this purpose for example we in our article we applied the nsm the negotiational self method that's actually originally developed for applied work for practitioners to help their clients to bring their contradictory positions into more into harmony and we applied the of course we didn't have this applied purpose in our article but it, if we would have our method could also be applied to for that purpose and what we also in case of waterman we found traces or a potential for this kind of a third position or meta position that would combine these positions that are otherwise rather far from each other and that was the he's joining this group of Christian bodybuilders, the Team Impact, because there, as part of the Team Impact, he had a chance to go public and demonstrate to other people his physical strength on stage, which kind of seemed to be what the, his, this opposition of Ron the Fighter needed, what he was looking for in the context of MMA. 
these same kinds of needs were satisfied by doing these feats of strength in other people. But also, he had a chance there at the same time to publicly profess his Christian faith and witness Christ in front of other people, which seemed to be what his this other position, this around the Potifamilias was, was looking for. So in that context, he could combine at least partially his these conflict in our positions. And I, I think that might be one way forward and one way to apply the dialogical self-theory is that when becoming aware of these potentially conflicting positions, we can also start to find ways how to bring them more into harmony and how to build bridges between these positions. And I think we can also speculate in terms of there's a lot of work on, on the therapeutic effects of writing, diary writing and all those things. And with this autobiography, I think our protagonist, he had to work a lot in terms of explicating his experiences and being able to verbalize that conflict that he was experiencing. So we can speculate whether that writing process itself was something that was helping him to find this third position and being able to articulate what the conflict is. So probably these kind of writing methods, as it's been in other fields uh, several times, talked about uh, one one way that maybe applied practitioners can also have, for example, writing assignments and, and those kind of things that might help athletes to explicate uh, that sense of discomfort or, or inner conflict. Okay. Yeah, this has been really a wonderful conversation and I really enjoyed our collaboration. I felt I learned a lot and this dialogical self-theory, I think, is something that can really help us Think about identity intersections, not just in terms of religion and sport, but also various other intersections and how different eye positions, I think for the topic of our podcast being meaning, meaningfulness in sport, these different eye positions might have different ideas, what, what is meaningful in sport and why sport is worth pursuing. And so I think that gives like a really interesting lens to look at how people are negotiating between these different eye positions and how they are negotiating between different meanings in sport as well. So yeah, thank you so much for the conversation. I've I've really enjoyed it and I look forward to collaborating in, in new projects in the future. Likewise, it's been really nice talking here and I've also enjoyed our collaboration a lot and hope we continue doing collaborating also in the future. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.